Welcome to the Lift As You Climb podcast, where it's all about the journey and the joy of discovering who you are now, deciding who you want to become, and embracing your genuine identity, influence, and impact. In each episode, we'll explore how life's experiences have prepared us for what we choose to do next and how to create our encore, write our own script, and star in the next stage of our lives. I'm your host, your encore strategist and transformation catalyst, Isabel Alexander. Welcome, everyone. A special day indeed. Always a special day to be with my guests on the Lift As You Climb podcast. And today I'm welcoming back again, Sherry Meredith. And we're going to go woohoo because it's International Women's Day 2023. And specifically relevant to me is that I launched this podcast two years ago today. March the 8th, 2021. I am so grateful to have a new friend in my life to help me continue this mission of promoting lifting and climbing and reaching out and meeting new people and collaborating with women as we join hands and help each other around the world and really make a difference. That's what the foundation of the organization International Women's uh, UN event is about. It's about globally lifting each other. This year, the theme is called Digital. It's innovation and technology for gender equality. You need technology. It underpins everything that we can do with to accomplish and to create a better life and to empower others and provide equality. Today, I asked Sherry to join me so that we could talk about something women don't always give themselves enough credit for, and just how significantly we impact global economies. I brought the expert to the stage who can talk about where women have wealth and what they can do with it to make a difference for themselves, their own families, their communities, and around the world. So thanks, Sherry. Thank you, Isabel. It's a pleasure. And first of all, congratulations on your second year anniversary. We were just, as you said, having a little conversation, but celebrating that and celebrating what so many women, so many interesting and important things around the world. And sometimes women are so busy doing, they don't maybe take that time to pause and say, well done. There's still lots to do. It's great what's happening so far. So congratulations to you. And to uh, those who are um, listening to this, I suspect you're listening because you are also aligned with some of these values and probably doing important things in your lives and your community. I wanted to start off, Isabel, along this theme with a really what I think is an interesting stat. And it came out of some research that was done in 2016, which looked at the percentage of wealth that Canadian women controlled. And in 2016, it was estimated to be about 35% of Canadian wealth. And they projected at that time that by 2026, so we're almost there, that women would in fact control 48% of Canadian wealth. And that equates to about 900 
billion. Wow. Yeah, wow. It's happened for so many different and a combination of reasons. Uh, You know, women certainly are earning more themselves independently. Um, But we also shouldn't forget that they're very active in managing their um, parents' investments and money as well, and often inheriting some of that. So it's like all these stars aligning that through a variety of means, women have direct control over a huge amount of money. And it plays out so much in everyday life. We were talking um, in the last podcast about spending power and how you make choices um, and can choose to buy products produced by one company over another if you believe that one company is more aligned with your values or you can avoid certain kinds of purchases and investments. And we control a lot of family spending. Um, So when you just think on a daily basis, the, the number of things that probably don't think about when you're choosing your vegetables or what online platform you're using, you know, which one is more aligned with your values? And is there a reason to choose one over the other? There's so much going on, no place more, I don't think, than in the world of philanthropy, where now women have this disposable income. And the research says that women tend to allocate a higher percentage of their disposable income to philanthropic activity, higher than men. And particularly older single women um, are much more apt to leave a legacy in their will to charity. That's not surprising, you know, but it, again, it accounts for a lot of opportunity to really make a difference in the areas that you care about. So it's the message, I think, is to pay attention to this, right? And to pay attention and be strategic in all parts of your life. In the discussions you have with other family members, Women are very influential in those too, even if it might be a family decision about where to give or to what to get involved in. Women have a key role in those decisions. So there's huge opportunity and one perhaps takes stock of on International Women's Day and ask the questions, if there's things that I care about, how could I be doing more to have an impact in those areas? I so like that you're bringing this up, that we really should be, and we have the opportunity, I'm not lecturing anybody, but that we have the opportunity to choose and to be thoughtful and strategic about planning for this, because I think that may be a relatively new awareness generationally at least for baby boomers it was generally they just handed down to the next generation right certainly my parents and the adults around me when I was a child were talking about I'm doing this so I can leave it to you I'm not going on that trip I'm not buying that I'm not doing this because I've got to leave it to my children whereas today I think there's if, correct me if I'm wrong, is I think there's more accumulated personal wealth today than there was 30, 40, 50 years ago, but also that there are more opportunities. There's more exposure to, as you say, personally connected to your values. I think there's also more single survivors. And often in addition to that, when people are inheriting money, they're at a much later stage in their life, right? You and I probably know a number of people whose parent just died and they were like 
a hundred, you know, or in their late nineties. So the people who are, might be first in line to inherit that money are really at a different phase in terms of how much they need. And so there is that thinking about, so how many generations do you pass it down? In, in the philanthropy world, sometimes we encourage people to think of adding a child to your list, right? So you're going to leave the majority to your children while you have three children, but add one called the community and leave the same share to that additional child. Sometimes people find that easier to think about because it's not like they're cutting their children out and not being fair to them, but they're in fact just adding to what they would have given anyway. That's such a nice, bigger perspective, a more inclusive perspective. Thank you for that. One of the things I think that's interesting to think about, because not only is there a lot of research about the money that women would have, but there's also increasing awareness that often women participate in philanthropy in a different way than men historically have. Like so many things in our society, the practices, the systems, the norms are all really developed and defined by what men did. And it's not that what men did wasn't wonderful, generous, but it might be different. Sometimes women might be approaching their philanthropy and their decision making and get challenged on it because it's viewed with a male lens. And so what they're doing may appear just not as decisive or whatever. So I'll give you a couple examples. In the research, it shows that women tend to want to learn a lot more about the issues and the organizations that they're supporting before giving. And so sometimes they're labeled by others as being risk adverse. (laughs) And it's not risk adverse at all. It's wanting to understand things in a different way to be more informed and then more confident and trusting, in fact, often of where they're giving their money or what they're investing in. So it's really quite different, but not a problem or a defect in how we give. Women also get involved often with the organizations that they're giving to. But once they know those organizations are involved, understand they're willing to support for the long term. I think I might have mentioned this last time. And so many of the things we're trying to address these days are complex. They're not short-term immediate solutions, or we would have done them already. And so it's really helpful and important to have donors, in in many cases women, who see this and are willing to follow along and be an ongoing supporter and try different things as they come up and let go of the things that aren't working and be a real partner with the people and the organizations who are closest to, to the issues. So it's a real strength in my view. But sometimes it can be downplayed a little bit because historically, when men were asked by friends to give money, they gave money and generously and they were recognized for that in a certain way. But that doesn't look the same as how many women are choosing to to give and make a difference today. Sherry, this is really so aligned in, in what we talk about today about women in business and women as leaders that our style is different and our strengths are different than male counterparts. And again, I'm not making anybody right or wrong. It's just we are different. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. And I like going back to where you're saying like we can be strategic about where we're going to allocate any wealth that we have, any assets that we have planning ahead, thinking about the legacy that we want to leave. I was also thinking really as the, shall we say, trustee of our own legacy, it's really a a fiduciary responsibility to do the research on the beneficiary of that money. And so rather than just, I don't know, being in a pattern of that's what we've always done, or that is the person that knocked at the door or the mailed campaign that I see most often, mm-hmm. thinking about making choices based on, as you say, longer term solutions, values, Mm -hmm. really anchored into who you are and how you want your life to make a difference and your money to make a difference. So I think that's really great. I was also wanted to ask you, like, so how do you get started then? I mean, uh, you mentioned advisors. And immediately I said reflected in my life, any advisors that I've approached in the past that were wealth advisors were typically men. And I know that's changing, but what's the situation in the philanthropic advisor world? Well, I think those are all really important questions. And I don't want to forget to comment on your point about researching too, as part of this. But It is so important to begin with what do you really care about and why and your values, right? And understanding yourself a little bit. So if you're an entrepreneur, you might not only be interested in this area and have all of these core values, but you also might really value the supporting the the startup, the higher risk things, the things where no one else wants to go there because it's too risky, but you see somebody with passion and a good idea who's not even going to be able to try it out because they don't have the support. So that may align very nicely with you. Some people like to support, if you like the old saying, the underdog. There's that part that aligns with who you are too, right? And some people split up their their giving in terms of, I'll do some here, I'll do some there. And I will do some responsive. When my neighbors and the kids down the street come to the door, I will respond. That's part of who I am too. I'm a good friend and neighbor and want to support their efforts. It is thinking strategically, but really identifying and flushing that out a little bit more. Because in my experience, financial advisors are financial advisors, right? So this isn't their core, deep area of expertise. And some are very good at exploring this front end. But for some, it's not really their, their training or comfort area or what they have time for even. And so finding other tools, finding, if you can, someone who might help you with that, depending on what you want. But I have a tool that you can get through my website that helps you think it through. So Mm -hmm. you can do it yourself, but it's thinking through and thinking of examples and thinking of stories and teasing out the key bits from that. And then beginning to identify and really hone in that where you'd like to make a difference. And following that, comes the understanding that area. And sometimes when people say you need to do your research, I find what people jump to these days is I need to look at the admin costs of the organization. And I think that's taken us down a really dangerous rabbit hole because the numbers are all hard to understand. Different organizations report them differently. So it's really hard to give real meaning 
to when you're comparing apples and oranges. For example, I used to work for an organization where there were local chapters, a provincial and then a national organization. In this field, the local chapters provided all the service to people and all the fundraising was done largely by the provincial organization. So if you looked at their books, the amount that they spent on raising money looked horrendous, right? But that's in fact what they did. And then they just passed that money to the locals who actually provided the service and spent very little. So you'd look at that and say, oh, their admin costs are much better there. In fact, you weren't comparing apples and apples. So understanding the organizations, and but most importantly, understanding the issues. So if you're trying to address food security, well, it's important to support the food banks. The food banks are not going to eliminate food insecurity, right? So what is it that you could do that would help address that root cause or that underlying, which is often about poverty, mental health, housing, adequate jobs, with adequate pay, things like that. So are there things that you could give to support, advocate for, that would in fact have a bigger long-term impact? And what, what there'd be different kinds of organizations you might support. They might be more advocacy, policy organizations, systemic change kinds of organization. And you might also want to give on the ground to help people eat this week because you have to eat and that's so important. But if you're really trying to promote long-term change, an additional strategy is needed. So understanding the complexity, understanding where you could invest to make a difference, and then understanding what kind of investment. And by investing, I'm talking about giving and other ways of supporting where you could and how you could go about it. And then I think you go to your financial advisors and say, look, this is what I'm hoping to do. Tell me what financial strategies I should use. What are the best vehicles given my personal financial situation? That's where they're going to have the deep expertise and know the options and you can weigh those options. And But it's not necessarily in the upfront stuff. And it's the upfront stuff that's equally important in terms of strategy, not just financial strategy, but impact strategy. I really like that you're opening that up for some thought that uh, you don't have to limit yourself to one bucket or one mm-hmm. one area of the problem because frankly that has been overwhelming for me in the past where I think I can't possibly solve this with my small contribution. But knowing that I could look at it and say, I can give this much to immediate short-term needs, and I can allocate some of my funds to longer-term solutions. And I can also allocate some of my own sweat equity by being involved and active in whatever the program is, to use your example, the food bank. So I've done work at the food bank as part of a rotary club. And at the same time, we were also raising funds to give to the food bank to buy more supplies. But looking at long-term issues like farming, agriculture, or education of people to grow their own gardens, etc., was also an aspect of that, which kind of feels empowering. It does. And sometimes some of those vehicles get you into really exciting, bigger areas. So for example, in some of the environmental issues, climate change and that, 
there are some really interesting funds that you can use your investments to invest in too. So asking your investment advisor, if I wanted to invest in green technologies or something, like what's out there? What's out there for me? And they should willingly try and have a look at that for you. That's really compounding, I guess you would say in financial terms, because if you're investing and your investments are doing well, then you are creating more for you to give in your donation buckets, right? But also your investments might be directly impacting and still making a return, right? There's a growing group of people doing that thing where you're making an adequate financial return. Because the old myth was that if it was having a social or environmental benefit, then you wouldn't be making a financial return. And that's just not true. I remember actually many years ago when the Edmonton Community Foundation started down this road, they were real leaders in Canada in terms of taking some of what they had invested in the stock market and investing it in things that had a social or environmental good and return. And everybody was very critical. And then that was the year that the stock market tanked and everybody else's returns came out at like minus 12 or something. And they were making a 7% return on these other investments. And suddenly people went, okay, so, you know, maybe we should think about this. And so there's just more options these days. And then you add to that, as I was saying earlier, your spending and your influence, right? So, you care a lot about this certain area. So maybe you post articles on that area on your social media or get your book club to read a book about that. It's a really, it's compounding, as you said. I think that's a good word for it. We shouldn't get discouraged and underestimate, as the old saying goes, the difference one person can make. Because if we all were doing that, there would be a huge impact collectively. It's a bit overwhelming these days, I think, but it's important not to lose sight that many dots makes the impressionist painting. I like that. And so this is my why for doing this podcast to create an opportunity to bring forward new ideas, new information, opportunities to open up thinking and to put a spotlight on opportunities to improve ourselves, to grow and become our best selves. And when we do that, then we have the ability to do more to lift others. So I really appreciate you contributing to that. That's just tremendous. One more thing. There's so many interesting, dynamic groups these days out there. And many of them are led by young, value-driven people. And it's really, I think, fun and interesting. And I would encourage people to take a look out there, if you, whatever your interest area, you know, what's happening in that field nationally, internationally, and join in with some of the others who share the same passion, because it's a lot more fun and engaging. And sometimes you'll also be able to amplify the difference you're making, but you'll also hear about some of the interesting things. So particularly in the women's area, but all over in particularly around social justice issues and equity and some of those things, there's just amazing things going on, being talked about. And especially since COVID, a lot of this is online. You can join a webinar, you can learn for free about so many of these things. Absolutely. Um, which kind of brings us back to the UN theme for this year for International Women's Day, digital. The technology part enables us 
to connect all around the world, as you say, whether you're sitting in your living room or on the internet, and you can discover and you can connect, which I think is for me even more important. As one of my recent guests on the podcast, Genevieve Paturo, who was the founder of the Pajama Program, promotes, it's the power of one another. It's the human connection that's moving the mountains. And I feel like this is another way where if you feel like really I don't have enough to make a difference, my net worth, what I will have left, isn't that significant. It's combined with every, with some others who share common values and who are like-minded. You really do make a difference. You absolutely do. Yeah. So happy International Women's Day. Thank you so very much. And to everyone who is listening, every one of you, you had a mother, she was a woman, there are women in your lives, hug them, celebrate them, thank them. And be sure in the show notes with this episode to look at Sherry's contact information, go to her website. She's got a tool there, a resource that really help you think about it, work through what matters to you and get started. And I know because she's very generous of heart, if you need some more direction around that, connect with her and she'll help you. So thank you, Sherry. I am so excited to talk again very soon. Thanks. And everyone else, make sure that you listen to the episode last week, where Sherry and I waxed poetically on many interesting topics. All right. Bye for now. Thanks, Isabel. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope our conversation added value to your day and expanded your vision for your legacy and impact. Please join me in increasing my impact and expanding my reach to even more people by sharing this episode on social media, with friends, and leaving a review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or channel of choice. To catch all the latest from me, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me and others in our community Facebook group, The Lift As You Climb Movement, where you can engage, be inspired by, and grow with a tribe of like-minded people. As I evolve as a podcaster and spokeswoman for collaboration and economic empowerment, your input and feedback are especially important to me. I welcome your suggestions and questions to hello at theencorecatalyst.com. Until we meet again, please remember, your success may be the foundation for someone else's. Together, we can raise success ladders around the world. Thank you.